0: Hello, welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host Brent Naktagal. Thank you very much for listening. This is a podcast where we talk about biblical archaeology, the latest in biblical archaeology and also discussion about finds of the past and how they're interpreted today. We have a magazine, the Watch Jerusalem magazine, the latest edition, the September-October edition, is mainly about the period of King David related to and Solomon, related to both Jerusalem discoveries and discoveries by Professor Yosef Garfinkel of Hebrew University from the outskirts of the land of Judea from 3,000 years ago. If you don't have a copy of this magazine... Please write your emails to letters at WatchJerusalem.co.il, letters at WatchJerusalem.co.il, and request a free subscription. We'll send it to you wherever you are in the world. And uh, preferably, if you are in Israel and you want to get a copy of this magazine or the or the, the one that was previous about Dr. Elat Mazar, the quickest way to do that would just be to email that address. Or if you just want to subscribe for a year... For free, again, you can go to the website, watchjerusalem.co.il, and go to the literature tab on the top right hand side and request, and just put in your details and request a copy of the magazine. Again, it's a highly valuable magazine where we do interview um, scholars from over here, archaeologists, those that have their hands in the dirt, and get their, uh, hear straight from them their interpretations of their discoveries. Today I'm going to be talking about a discovery that came out on October fifth, I believe it was. This is at least is when the article was written by our writer, one of our writers, Christopher Eames. It's first temple period lavatory discovered in Jerusalem, and this is an interesting story. Of course, there's been a couple of toilets, ancient toilets, that have been found around King Hezekiah's time. He's one of the one of the most uh, important kings from Judea. Obviously, after the kingdom split, a couple hundred years after King David, and he ruled during the time of King uh, during the time of the prophet Isaiah. A lot has come out uh, from Hezekiah's time, and this was a discovery in a big building from the Promenade area, the Tyalit area. This is the area on Jerusalem South, on the way to Bethlehem, if you like, uh, and it overlooks uh, the ancient city of David. Uh, towards towards the north of this area there was a uh, in anon an uh, there was a anon, Hanitziv, sorry there was a discovery last year about a massive uh, public building that had a lot of inscriptions and uh, discoveries from the period just following it looks like uh the Sennacherib or the Assyrian invasion of Judea, and so there were some beautiful ornate um, architectural elements that were discovered, big capitals, protealic capitals as, they've, as they're called, and we did a program about that at the time. Well, they're continue, continuing excavating in this area, and what they found was a toilet. So I'm going to read from Christopher Eames' article, and then I'm going to read an article article by uh, Tamara, I think it's Tamara Stern, Sternfall. Uh, something like that apologies if i got that wrong Uh, she works for camera the organization over here for accurate reporting in the middle east and she really goes to task on the associated press for the reporting of this story now first i'm going to read chris emers's story and if you want a an an example of how watch jerusalem's coverage of archaeological stories in the land of, of israel are going to be compared with is compared with other coverage uh, this is a great example, and uh, Tamara Sternthal brings this out in this article. But first, let's go to the discovery. This again is from earlier this month. Chris writes, a private toilet cubicle was discovered during recent excavations in Armon Hanatsiv. A promenade, a promenade area overlooking the city of David from the south. The so-called Commissioner's Palace area was already known to contain luxurious uh, a contain- contain a luxurious mansion dating to the time of King Hezekiah and Manasseh, the end of the 8th, 7th century BCE. Now the mansion's private commode has been discovered as well. And so if you visited the city of David, right uh, and right beneath or part of the stepstone structure, you actually see one of these ancient toilets. You've had another one from this time period that was discovered at Lachish uh, during Hezekiah's time, and then another one now just a mile or so from the ancient Jerusalem city. So we're on the outskirts of the Jerusalem city, uh, ancient Jerusalem, where this was discovered. This toilet, made of carved limestone, was found within a rectangular-shaped cubicle approximately 2 meters by 1.5 meters, underneath which was a septic tank. The tank was excavated, which will contain valuable information for determining the diet and diseases in biblical Judah, which is really interesting. Uh, Often the trash or even the waste uh, uh, ancient trash or ancient waste is how we do uncover a lot of information uh, about how the ancient people lived in this area. It also contained discarded animal bones and pottery. It And then Chris writes, strangely 30 to 40 bowls were found within the cubicle. Items that excavators theorize may have held some type of air freshener or aromatic oil, which is what some, is something you would like If you have uh, your toilet close by uh, to where you live, then it'll be good to have some air fresheners in there as well. Uh, Chris continues to write, Just outside the toilet cubicle, an ornamental garden was discovered as part of the mansion grounds, containing remains of fruit trees, aquatic and aquatic plants. Together with these new discoveries, other items that had already been revealed last year at the site include the best preserved pillar capitals ever ever discovered in Israel, and the first discovered matching miniature window balustrades as well. And I'll put a link to this article where you can watch a video of them discovering uh, these beautiful, ornate, Judean, biblical period, uh, architectural elements. Which is so amazing to consider that we have the people from the Bible, we read the history in the Bible, and then you can, fairly easily actually, here in Jerusalem and elsewhere in Israel, discover how these people lived. The people from the Bible and including the Israelite architectural elements, things that were native to this land uh, that the people from the Bible, biblical period, were, just, were creating. Amazing. It really does add a lot of life to the biblical narrative to see how the people live anciently and to see what they, uh, how they constructed. The rich property of Ammon HaNatziv uh, fits well within the biblical description of a reviving capital just following Sennacherib or the Assyrian emperor's failed siege failed siege at the end of the 8th century BCE. The Bible describes Jerusalem and Judah springing back to life and expanding with great wealth at this time, following Hezekiah's repentance and turning to God for deliverance. And then uh, Chris has a, 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 a reference to 2 Chronicles 32 where it says this, And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, and he provided him treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and all manner of goodly vessels, storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil, and stalls for all manner of beasts and flocks in folds. Moreover, he provided him cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very much substance." And Chris concludes this part of his article by saying, "This, while it might not seem like such a big deal today with our modern conveniences, a lavish lavatory, together with the wider 900-sieve uh, mansion, certainly is th- another discovery that points to the post-invasion revival and of Judaic prosperity. So, again, just another indication of what the Bible says in history regarding this period actually did happen: massive mansion." outside the city walls of Jerusalem being constructed in the post-Hezekiah, early Manasseh reign. That matches with the biblical description. So this isn't a good example, again, of what you're going to find in Watch Jerusalem. You'll also find some of this in, in the actual press release that the Israeli Antiquities Authority put out. But what are you going to read about in your local paper? Most of the time, local papers and even uh let's say massive national papers they get their information from several news organizations such as ap uh, reuters and so on so ap is putting out something an article that other papers are going to pick up because they've got the ap license they can basically say ap contributed to this report or ap wrote this and then they can publish it in their paper great content right and so what these carriers or what what AP and, and Reuters are meant to be like is a very factual account with no bias inserted into their reporting because others are going to take their report and, and run with it. And they're not going to research it because they know that AP is accurate, right? Well, notice what they are doing with such a story about this and why, why would AP be reporting on uh, this discovery, like this, this is an article, again, it was a blog uh, by Tamar, Tamar uh, Sternthal, uh, she writes this, Flushing the Israel, Israel out of ancient Israel. News headlines last week reported on the rare archaeological find of a private kingdom of Judah-era toilet discovered in the remains of a luxurious mansion in Jerusalem. <clears throat> uh, and then I'll just jump down. While aromatic oil might have done the the olfactory trick in the first temple period bathroom, all the fragrant incense in ancient Judah can't conceal conceal the stench of media reports that erase the long, rich Jewish history of ancient Israel. And so international media, media reports of this discovery are trying to edit out the people that lived here, the people that did a discussion about any reference to the Bible any reference to the Jewish people, any reference to the kings of Judah, any reference to a temple, all of these things that are accurate, is an accurate reporting of facts based on the, the antiquities authority press release. So they put out the press release, AP does their story, oftentimes they'll get it, they'll do interviews, sometimes they'll just run with a press release and edit it. They'll edit it. And notice what they're editing out. The Associated Press's short article last week on the unusual toilet find was a prime example of news media dumping on Jews' ancient history in their ancestral homeland. Their article was entitled 2,700-year-old toilet found in Jerusalem was a rare luxury. So that sounds good. Is it true? Yes. All this is true. All the AP report is true. But it's, it, it, it omits... A lot of important information. It says this, the leading news agency cited the rare ancient toilet in Jerusalem dating back more than 2,700 years while diligently failing to note the historic period in question, the first temple period. So the first temple period, everything we'd, we say from, obviously, Solomon built the temple. Uh, however, we would include David in the first temple period. So everything from David all the way through the destruction of, of the, the temple in the early 6th century, so about a 400-year period, um, just over 400-year period. This is the first temple period. It's referred to in archaeological circles here in Israel, or if you're a visiting archaeologist, if you're digging in this, this uh, time period anywhere in Israel, you would call it, you could call it the first temple period. It's another name for the period. But you can't, if you're AP, you can't use this language. Because I guess it, it kind of makes out that there was a temple. The IAA press release. So imagine this the IAA puts out a press release, the Israeli Antiquities Authority, and they describe it how they describe it. And then AP takes that press release and edits out certain items. The IAA press release, for its part, was clear and explicit was clear and explicit explicitly began this way quote a rare toilet cubicle from the first temple period which was part of an ancient royal estate that operated at the end of the kings of Jude kings of the Judean period 7th century BCE dot 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 ellipsis continues the iaa statement repeatedly emphasized the historic period of jewish sovereignty in the ancient homeland again this is what the iaa said beneath the toilet a septic tank was discovered containing a large amount of pottery from the first temple period and animal bones. The finds were carefully collected, including the soil fill. Their investigation may teach us about the lifestyles and diets of the first temple people, the people that lived there during the time of the first temple period, as well as ancient diseases. And then uh, Tamar writes here, About the significance of the pottery and animal bones, the AP carefully edited the IAA's information, uh, exercising the reference to the First Temple Period. So the news agency gets that paragraph I mentioned with the references to First Temple Period, and this is how they write it. Animal bones and pottery found in the septic tank could shed light on the lifestyle and diet of people living at that time. As well as ancient, ancient diseases, the Antiquities Authority said. Well, not really. The, the Antiquities Authority decided that they were going to talk about the people and the period, who they were, that lived here. That's what you care about, right? Okay, some random people lived in this spot at this uh, ancient time, 2,700 years ago, and this is what they ate. Okay, well, who were they? Well, the IAA, they tell you, AP doesn't want you to know. Similarly, while the IAA noted the First uh, first Temple-style designs carved into the architecture, AP again stripped the site of its Judean identity. Quoting the IAA now, so we'll do what the IAA said, and then what AP said. Impressive architectural items were discovered in the excavation, including stone capitals designed by an artist bearing a style typical to the days of the First Temple. And small architectural columns that served as railings for uh, windows, and this is what again the IAA said, quoting the director of the excavation. So this is the man that knows what he's talking about. He, the I, the director. Quote: It's a fascinating. Uh, Well, this is the IAA director, not the excavation director. It's fascinating to see how something that is so obvious to us today, such as toilets, was a luxury item during the reign of the kings of Judah. Uh Uh-oh. You can't write about the kings of Judah if you're AP. In contrast, this is what AP wrote. The archaeologist found stone capitals and columns from the era. Just another era. They found columns from that era, whatever that era is. We can't say first temple period. And said there was evidence nearby with orchids, with orchards sorry, and aquatic plants. More evidence that those living there were quite wealthy. Who was living there? Who was living there? People during the reigns of the kings of Judah? Yes, but not if you're AP. Just random people. Random people. And then, again, Tamar writes this at the end. Who lived there then? Who reigned? Whose toilet seat was it? The AP never said. Indeed, the words Judah and First Temple Period and Kings of Judah don't appear once in the newswire service story. So, if you read about this in your local newspaper... They might have wanted some clickbait in your local newspaper because it was an ancient toilet. And that's interesting, of course. But whose was it? What kingdom did it belong to? And what timestamp do we give it? And what people, what people can we describe as living in this area? Isn't that the interesting part of this story? I mean, we are in the land of Israel. Most people reading this story, I think they would recognize, hopefully, that this is the period of the Bible this is the period when the kings of Judah reigned, and so it's describing something—a building that was in existence and built by people of the Bible. And this is where they went to the bathroom, apparently, and they had they had a, a beautiful, uh, massive palace on the outside of Jerusalem. All those important details are missing. AP wants to strip the Judean heritage, the Jewish heritage, of to the Holy Land. The two thousand seven hundred. Year history and attachment that the Jewish people, ancient Israel, has to this land. The same people in part that lived here today. AP doesn't want to confirm that history. AP doesn't want to tell you about that history. And so they are working hard. It's not like it's not like they decided that they would they didn't have time. So they're just gonna run with the IAA press release and put it into the AP story and send it out. No, they worked hard to edit. The Bible and the Jews out of a story about Jerusalem, about the Jews, during the time of the Bible. That is the way they report. And, I mean, if you are interested in the archaeology and history of the Bible and the Jewish people here, and the ancient Israelites here, then I think you would want something more. And that's what we aim to do. At Watch Jerusalem is to give you not a biased account of the archaeological remains or the history, but a factual account combining the ancient historical source with the archaeology on the ground and putting them together and making sense of the stones that are uncovered, the stones that are discovered. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'd like to talk about another article, The Walls That Nehemiah Built, The Town of Jerusalem in the Persian Period. This time, it's an actual archaeologist that is writing her piece, and she takes aim directly at Nehemiah's wall, the wall that Dr. Elot Mazar discovered and says, no way, no way is it Nehemiah's wall. And we're going to take a look at her claims of why it's not, and we're going to look at Dr. Mazar's uh, excavation final report, the late Dr. Elot Mazar's excavation report, final reports of this area, and talk about um, how even in archaeological circles, you have those that would like to blot out biblical significance of the discoveries here in Jerusalem. We'll be right back. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. For the second half of today's show, we're going to talk about Nehemiah's wall. This is a a wall that I had the chance to excavate uh, back in 2007, Uh, ...partly dismantle and then excavate the layers directly underneath this wall. And it's good to talk about this wall as not just being a one straight line wall... ...but also a tower that was attached to the wall itself. And that's what you have often, it's the case, on city walls. You'll have a wall itself and then a little part will jut out... ...and maybe strengthen the wall or perhaps from that part that juts out... ...you can oversee an entrance to the city wall, to the city itself and provides an added layer of, of protection. And so there's a defensive element to these ancient walls, and and what I'm going to do today is just read a little bit about Mar- from Margaret Steiner. Steiner, she's an archaeologist in her own right. She has published quite a lot about the excavations of, I think Kathleen Kenyon here in this area. She does she has put out quite a lot about the stepstone structure, um, which Nehemiah's wall is built on top of, at least in part. And so she's quite a renowned archaeologist. And um, so we'll talk about that, but before I I get into that, I do want to reference an article that uh, we wrote in our, I think it was in November, December, uh, or January, February edition, about two years ago, of the Watch Jerusalem magazine. It's actually the most popular article uh, ever on the Watch Jerusalem website, I think almost 100,000 people have read it. It's it's entitled, Discovered Nehemiah's Wall. And it goes through a lot of the claims and addresses some of the claims that uh, Margaret Steiner actually brings up. So, if you are failing to to keep up with me uh, with this section of the program, I do suggest that you just go back and read "Discovered Nehemiah's Wall" by Christopher Reams from a couple of years ago, and get a very accurate account and talk about the limits of what archaeology can discover and what we see with this report or with this uh this report yeah that that margaret steiner writes this is in the october 2021 the bible and interpretation and um, what we see in this is uh the degree to which um scholars will not give the bible the benefit of the doubt when there is let's say a 98 percent or a 95 percent uh, certainty of something that does accurately uh, or at least the evidence of archaeology matches really closely to what the Bible describes, people aren't willing to jump on board. They basically say, no, it can't be. Unless you have 100% proof uh, that, of it matching to an absolute T, to a, to, a, to a biblical person or or uh, or a building or something like that, they're not going to be willing to give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. Any other historical source, they'll give the benefit of the doubt, and they'll say it probably is what the what that historical source says. However, many archaeologists are terrified to do that, and it seems, in in some ways, I believe Margaret Steiner is falls into that category. I mean, towards the end, the very end of her article, she does say that. I mean, I want to take a middle of the road approach. Some people say there's nothing from Nehemiah's time. Some people say nothing from Nehemiah uh, or Nehemiah's Jerusalem was was. Basically nothing, but but I don't say that. Whether Jerusalem was a Barra Persian fortress or a provincial capital possibly fortified by or with the permission of the Persian authorities to safeguard their interests cannot be determined on the basis of current evidence. But perhaps there is more factuality in the picture, the book of Nehemiah sketches, than is sometimes suggested. Well, it's suggested sometimes that it's all fabricated from 300 years later. And she says, perhaps... Perhaps there's more factuality in the picture of the book of Nehemiah than what is suggested. And I would indeed say perhaps there is. I would say there definitely is. And so this article, she's going to be talking about this tower of Nehemiah that was uncovered back in 2007 that Dr. Mazar writes about uh, in that big red book, uh, her final report, going through all the evidence of it. And we kind of summarize that in the article on Watch Jerusalem Discovered Nehemiah's Wall. So if you recall your history uh, from the from the Bible, you know that Nehemiah was a Persian official. He, he, the Bible describes him coming to Jerusalem. I'm just going through my, a bit of my uh, memory here. I think it was in the, the 20, uh, 26th year or 20th year, something like that, of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And so he came on the scene maybe 13, 14 years <clears throat> after Ezra. Ezra came first and then Nehemiah came after him and what what necessitated his coming to Jerusalem from Persia he was he was a, <clears throat> a cupbearer for Artaxerxes the emperor of the world in the palace in Susa or Shushan as it says there and the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down at this point nothing was built up in terms of the walls after the Babylonian destruction a good 100 and almost 150 years earlier before nehemiah's time and what he wants to do is come and build the city wall so that those people that would want to destroy the the fledgling province of the jews the returnees the exiles many of them that came back that that nehemiah could put a stop to that and protect the city and so he he gets he's granted leave He's granted leave to construct this wall, and if you know about this wall, it, it's constructed in a rapid 52 days. It basically follows part of the ancient wall that existed during the time period of of Jeremiah the prophet, and it builds up the, that wall. So you would find it often if if you are if the Bible is going to be correct, you would find it this wall along parts of the old ancient wall in some areas. And so it wasn't a fresh construction of an entirely new wall where they had to go and carve out the stones and build the wall. This was a wall that mainly used rocks and elements that were already there and built up upon where the wall was. And so he did construct it very fast. You have some scholars that want to come out and say that even this idea of the Persian Persian government accepting or granting a license if you like for a city wall to be built up uh in jerusalem that seems highly unlikely because whenever you see somebody building a city wall you think that they're going to try and rebel and often that is the case but wedged in this history that's in the book of ezra and nehemiah is you find actually an attempt to build the city wall uh earlier this is in ezra chapter 4 and you see the Persian authority that says, "Oh, which was Artaxerxes actually, he says, hold up on this, tell them to stop building the wall around Jerusalem. Indeed, as you have said, because the people that lived around the, the Jews there, they didn't want Jerusalem to be strong. They didn't want Jerusalem to be revitalized and the Jews to be empowered. They wrote a letter to Artaxerxes and said, can you stop this? This is a crazy city. You look, look back in your history books and you'll find that these people rebelled against the Mesopotamian empires. They they rebelled against the Babylonian empire from their city. So you can't let them build up the walls. So indeed, some of those scholars that say that the book of Nehemiah is crazy because the Persian authorities would never let them build a wall, you're actually partly right. They they did stop construction for a while. Artaxerxes says, you just tell them to stop. And why does when does he tell them to stop? He also clarifies and says... You tell them to stop until, until another commandment comes from me. That's what's said, and so there was a stoppage to it. But then we know Nehemiah built it, as it says there, a couple of uh, in the next book of the Bible. Again, anciently, both of these Ezra and Nehemiah being uh, on one scroll, and so the account <clears throat> of Nehemiah talks about how it was built in 52 days. Nehemiah chapter 3 talks about how certain families built different portions of it, which would make sense if you want to build something quick, you're not going to start in one point and then build 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 build, build all around. You're actually going to <coughs> you're actually going to build it all up at the same time, right? That'll be the fastest. And so you're going to have different families that are constructing the wall at the same time. And it was built again in 52 days. Uh, A really amazing feat, not just of engineering, I would say, or a hurried construction, uh, but also just management of the people, encouraging the people, inspiring the people as Nehemiah did uh, throughout this period, that even though it was hard work, even though they had to fight at the same time, or at least be prepared to fight at the same time, they were able to construct it. Okay, so I'm going to quote from this article. Let's uh, read part of this. It says, "Further on the north, further north on the hill, Kenyon found a smaller tower with part of a wall that, according to her, originated from the Persian era." So let's break that down. Kathleen Kenyon is an next British excavator that excavated this area in the '60s, and she finds finds a smaller tower. This is talking about the tower that would eventually collapse, uh, will start to collapse, which we excavated with Dr. Elamazah. Uh, A tower with part of a wall that, according to her, originated during the Persian period. Persian period, again, just means the period of Persian domination of this area. So we're talking about from Zerubbabel's time. Uh, Zerubbabel's the one that was sent back uh, under the direction of King Cyrus II, who was the big Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, that Ezra chapter 1 talks about. He comes back. uh, He starts to build the temple itself, the altar and the rest of the temple. And then uh, <clears throat> he eventually would die. But this was a good, uh, he was a good, uh, let's say, 80 years from Nehemiah's time, so rubber bell, But that starts the Persian period. The Persian period is going to continue all the way until uh, Alexander the Great comes along, I think, 331, 332, when he gets to Jerusalem. Then you're into the Hellenistic period of Hellenistic domination of Alexander the Great. So the Persian era, era basically spans a period of 200 years. So she's saying... Kenyon found a small tower, and she dated that to the Persian era. An accurate analysis of the finds I made, this is again Margaret Steiner, however, uh, shows, however, that the tower and the wall date from the late Hellenistic period and are part of the fortifications described above. So this person believes it's from the late Hellenistic period, which is bookended again from the time of Alexander the Great, all the way through the time of when the Romans came. The Romans came in 63 uh, BCE. This was uh, under the general Pompey. They entered the Roman period. So from, again, 331 to 63, you have the Hellenistic period. She's saying late Hellenistic, so she's probably pushing us into the Maccabean period, uh, the period of uh, Jewish Jewish nationalism uh, after the time of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Not that important. Basically, she dates this tower to a couple hundred years after Nehemiah's time. And Kenyon dated it to Nehemiah's time. Although I came to... Well, we'll skip this paragraph. It's very interesting. This paragraph, we'll come back to it. She addresses Dr. Elat Mazar's evidence now about this tower. Recently, so this was 2007, the Israeli archaeologist Eilat Mazar conducted, uh, conducted excavations on the top of the hill where she found the so-called Palace of David. For a refutation of that interpretation, see Steiner, 2009. So she doesn't believe it's the Palace of David. The small tower that Kenyon had uncovered appeared to be on the verge of collapse and was demolished and rebuilt by her team. Which was partly true. The small tower that she calls was Hasmonean. We would eventually find out that it was from Nehemiah's time. It was starting to fall down. And I remember this. I was working in her office at the time. I think I was 21. And uh, she said with me and another another uh, another student that was working in her office, hey, we're going to go out to the excavation site. Uh, there's a little bit of work. It's basically pulling down a tower. It's from the Hasmonean period. Dr. Bazar believed it was from the Hasmonean period. For all the people that want to say that she you know, found what she was looking for and she wanted to prove the Bible, it's not what she was looking for. She didn't, when we said we're going out to the site, she's like, ah, it's pretty, it's not going to be that exciting. I know you guys are interested in mostly the Bible, but this is probably from, you know, 200 years after Nehemiah's time, sometime before Herod the Great. And it's falling down. So what we need to do is remove some of these stones, find a nice platform, solid ground, and then we can build it back up. That's all it is. It's a restoration project. Never was Dr. Mazar looking for Nehemiah's wall in this, in this place. Uh, and so we did do that. We came, and as Even Steiner says, uh, we did try. We did have to demolish it before we could build it up. And it says that it was rebuilt by her team. No, it wasn't. Uh, this has not been rebuilt to this day. Uh, it still sits there. Uh, all the stones that were from the dismantling are still there at the side of the city of David, waiting to be rebuilt at some point. We'll see if that happens. Um, that provided an opportunity to look underneath and behind the tower. The pottery she found there originated in the Persian period, which, according to her, proved that the tower itself was Persian in date, and therefore part of the fortifications mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. That is just a great uh, brief uh, version of the proof that Dr. Mazar gives. This, however, is a methodological error. If Persian period pottery was found underneath the tower, this means that the tower itself was built later. That could be two years later, a hundred years later, or a thousand years later. Now that's just uh, bravado. That's just uh, hyperbole, hyperbole, obviously. Um, No, it couldn't have been built a thousand years later because there's a Hasmonean bath on the top of this tower that was built into it from the late Hasmonean period. So, To say that just because you find the Persian pottery underneath the tower um, that it could be built two years after that period, that is true. A hundred years later, perhaps. But a thousand years later, you just can see where the the logic is going here, trying to make it sound ludicrous, this idea that it's from Nehemiah's time. No, it couldn't be a thousand years later, based on your own evidence. The The Persian pottery underneath the tower only gives the terminus postquim a date after which something could have happened. The tower may thus uh, have been built in the Persian period, or much later, the finds do not disprove my dating of the tower in the Maccabean era. And I would say that the finds don't disprove that this tower could have been built in the Maccabean era. But where does the weight of evidence lie? Now, this, again, is going to separate Watch Jerusalem and even the way Dr. Mazar thought about evidence and using historical sources. She would say, and Dr. Mazar did say, and we'll get to her evidence here, that it's the best and most logical answer that it's the tower that Nehemiah's built, part of the tower that Nehemiah built. She never said she was 100% in that, but the, the, the based on all the evidence that she finds, but everyone else, it seems, aren't willing to say that. They just dismiss it out of hand. It, it can't be. It just can't be. It, it is going to be from the Hasmonean period, according to this, this lady. So we'll come back to um, her article here. This is Dr. Mazar's final report. This is the chapter three of the excavations at the City of David from 2007 to 2008. This is regarding <clears throat> this tower. Our 2007-2008 excavations were able to securely date the latest finds from beneath the Northern Tower to no later than the mid-5th century BCE. Now, this is important, because she's not going to say that. She just says, Dr. Mazar says it's dated from the Persian period, and so it has to be Nehemiah, from Nehemiah chapter 3. No, we can actually see... The finds and discoveries and pinpoint them fairly accurately, actually, of when during the Persian period is the latest possible finds underneath the tower. And when is it? Again, it's the mid, at the, at the very latest, it's the mid fifth century. Nehemiah comes on the scene to Jerusalem 445, 444, that's when he builds his wall. So, mid fifth century is exactly the time that the Bible says this wall should be built, and also the pottery. And other finds basically say that this, this, uh, or at least the discoveries underneath it, are from exactly that same time. Indeed, the lack of any finds characteristic of the late fifth century BCE and onward was striking. In particular, the absence of Yehud seal impressions, which were found in significant quantities in Shiloh's Persian period stratum nine, don't exist there. <clears throat> So it is very interesting that the construction of this building and they would, they could say, I mean, you could say that Nehemiah came, well, somebody that built this came along to this area, wiped off all the layers, wiped off all the layers that were there and stopped. They stopped. When did they stop? Exactly in the mid fifth century. just happened to stop in the mid fifth century BCE. They went through the the late, early Hasmonean period. They get down into the Persian period. They wipe off a couple of hundred years or 150 years of the late Persian period. And they just stop their clearing. When do they stop their clearing to build their wall? Well, the artifacts that are underneath are right from Nehemiah's time. Now, that could happen. I'm not saying that couldn't happen. But you see the logic here. Now, is it possible, though, that there were stratified layers that existed all the way down the stepstone structure upon which this tower was built. And Nehemiah came along and he built on the, on this location at the same time that those of the, where those of the, of the, those strata of those layers. Well, I would say that we have a historical source that says a wall is going to be built in this very area during the fifth century And we have the precise finds, not somewhere in the Persian period, but exactly at the same time, based on when Nehemiah would have built. That's what we have directly underneath this tower. And there's other things, obviously, as well, that that are very interesting about this. And Steiner doesn't address these things. In Dr. Mazar's uh, final report here, she puts together a cross-section. This is basically a slice of the pottery that exists, of the layers that existed underneath the tower underneath Nehemiah's wall—I'm going to call it that—Nehemiah's tower—and she puts that basically crops that with another massive cross-section that Yigal Shilo did. He's an excavator in the '80s that excavated most of the stepstone structure, and she matches up this strata of, of or this strata of Shiloh with the strata of Nehemiah's underneath Nehemiah's wall, and she shows that these very specific layers again that Nehemiah was, or that from the the period of Nehemiah, the Persian period, the the early Persian period, Shiloh found found them, and Dr. Mazar found them as well, directly underneath. And then she also shows that if you're going to continue, if you're going to continue the Hellenistic layers, and they're going to continue on up, they would have touched the base, uh, the base of Nehemiah's wall, indicating that Nehemiah's wall was there when the Hellenistic layers were put down, which would make it before the Hellenistic period. Now, we don't have those layers. This is, again, conjecture. This is, again, uh, a hypothesis that looks like, if you look at the cross-section, is based, in, is based in truth. But, again, it's not 100%. However, let's go to Dr. Mazar's collusion, uh, conclusions. I will say that in this excavation also, directly underneath the tower, we did find a beautiful uh, layer of clay and this layer of clay was pretty thick, half a meter to a meter thick. And the first stones that are against the stepstone structure, which is what this, or against uh, basically a wall that the tower is built upon, um, they are wedged into this clay layer. And this clay layer, again, is from the Persian period. Just above this clay layer, at least when you, if, you go, if you go a little bit uh, away from the wall that, that Nehemiah's tower was leaning against, we found a couple of dogs that were buried there directly related to the construction uh, of this, of this um, tower. So we have evidence that there is a preparation going on for this building above or this tower above, which again, and those finds inside that layer, they're from the Persian period. So there's no indication that there was just stratified layers. They wiped a few off, sorry. They wiped a few off, and then they built Nehemiah's Tower. No, there was a preparation during the Persian period for this wall. And that's what the evidence points to. This is Dr. Mazar's conclusions. When taking any historical source under consideration, one hopes to uncover archaeological evidence that will corroborate it. I mean, that's the hope, right? Any historical source, not just the Bible. In the case of the biblical account of Nehemiah's hasty refortification of the city, such evidence would include stones in secondary use from destroyed structures along new stones cut out from the bedrock as well. Then she writes this We believe that the remains discovered in Area G well substantiate the biblical account based on the following facts 1. The existence of different construction styles among the fortification line. <clears throat> Again, you have walls, and there are slightly different construction styles. That makes sense with the Bible, since different families constructed part of it, A part of the wall. Uh, The construction of both towers, so there is a southern tower, we won't talk about that one, but of both towers on the slope, directly above earlier remains, with minimal effort expended to lay a stable foundation. Typically, if you're going to build a massive tower like this tower, or a big strong tower, you're going to dig down really deep, You're going to find, hopefully, a strong foundation for it. (coughs) But uh, Nehemiah did do minimal work, but you don't find a really strong foundation for this wall. Again, they didn't have time. They didn't have time to do that. They needed to build a wall fast. Uh, The presence of a clay layer beneath the tower. Again, this was that attempt uh, from Nehemiah, whoever built this wall, built this wall to create kind of a stronger uh, platform. Stronger foundation for this tower. And then the houses destroyed in 586, which is below Nehemiah's wall. They are the sole secure terminus postquim for the construction of the southern tower. Basically saying that we know this tower was built sometime after Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. Number six, the wealth of the finds retrieved from beneath the tower dates securely to no later than the 5th century BCE. Again, again, there was preparation during the Persian period for this tower during the 5th century BC, and that preparation took place, and the layers match this, right during Nehemiah's time. Not 400, not 500, about 450, right when Nehemiah was there. Taking into account the strong archaeological evidence on the one hand and the detailed biblical account on the other, we propose identifying the Northern Tower and likely the Southern Tower as well, together with the segment of the city wall as all forming part of Nehemiah's fortification. But if you look at other people, no, nah, it couldn't be. Couldn't be Nehemiah's wall at all. Definitely not constructed by him. Israel Finkelstein, a uh, one of the foremost uh, voices in biblical minimalism and archaeologists, he gave a, did a, a huge a series on the Bible and archaeology and the archaeology in Jerusalem and elsewhere, from Nehemiah's time, didn't even discuss it. Didn't even discuss Nehemiah's wall that Elat Mazar discovered. And it's the elephant in the room. I mean, you have to discover it. Just discuss it. You have to talk about it. You, but he didn't. He didn't even mention it. Didn't even mention the possibility of it. No, couldn't have been. Okay, so you have a prominent archaeologist who's excavated more in Jerusalem than any other archaeologist, or close to it, I would say, that was alive, uh, at least recently, and she's coming out and saying it's probably Nehemiah's wall. And another archaeologist that is a very loud voice won't even discuss it, won't even bring it up and say, based on this, that, this, the other thing, I don't believe it is. Well, then I would say, well, could it be? Well, no, no, no. It could, Yes, it could be. By their own logic, it could be. By Steiner's logic, it could be. But no, they're not going to even give it the light of day, or at least Finkelstein did it. At least this lady did. Now, again, if you want to just read up on more proof about this, I think you should read Christopher Eames' article, Discovered Nehemiah's Wall. It will go through their arguments. It goes through the points I've talked about that they bring up, about how we don't have, we don't have our, uh, layers touching it, and so we, we we can have the la, the latest possible date that it was built, but we don't have um, another secure or the earliest date it could have been built. But we don't have the latest date it could have been built, based on we're lacking those layers. But where does the weight of evidence lie? And when the weight of evidence lies with something that confirms a historical source or corroborate or or aligns with a historical source? Would it be good to give the historical source and the archaeology the benefit of the doubt? Or would you just throw away the historical source and say, Hey, I'm 2,500 years after this time that it was built. Or 2,200 years, I know better. I know better than the historical source. No, that defies logic. You, You find an eyewitness or you find somebody that's as close to the period in which it's describing... And they are going to be, more often than not, the most log- most accurate person to describe it. The vanity, the scholarly vanity of people that come along when there is a discovery that would 98% or 95% confirm the biblical account or it looks to confirm the biblical account and then for them to throw away that and say, it can't be because I, I know. I know, based on my evidence, that it's not. It can't be. Or do you or do you take the historical source and give it the benefit of the doubt? Okay, that's all for today's program. Thank you very much for listening. Please go ahead and read this article by Christopher Eames. It's, it's entitled Discovered Nehemiah's Wall. I'll also leave links for all the articles that I've discovered on today's program. And if you have a bit of extra time and if you want to avail yourself of our magazine, please do so. Again, it's the Watch Jerusalem magazine where we go through the finds of biblical archaeology here in Israel and elsewhere in the Middle East. It's available for you for free at watchjerusalem.co.il. If you'd like to send some feedback on the program or give us tips of things you want covered on the program also, please do send your emails to Watch Jerusalem. Sorry to letters at watchjerusalem.co.am.